Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Bobcast. With you as always is Bob, live in the lounge, staring at the Ouija board. Today's guest is no stranger to the B.O.B. family. Let's go back in time to when I first met him in 2000, I think it was five. I arrived in Los Angeles for the first time, never seen the coast, never seen the streets of Hollywood. At my friend Drew Reed's apartment, who he shared with an actor from Los Angeles. Excuse me, we'll find out exactly where he's from after this brief introduction. An actor who has a sense of creativity, a mindset of just pure artistic expression. Please welcome to the Bobcast, Des Ryan Stewart. What's up, Bob? How you been, Des? Good, man. Jeez, it's been a while, huh? It has been a while. I've been keeping track of you, though, on social media. Social, how, what's your thoughts on social media? Do you enjoy it? My thoughts on it? Uh, I've been addicted to it the last 72 hours. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're snowed I don't in. Know, uh, you know, look, Ben, I use it sometimes, and other times I don't at all, but uh, I think I get in these, I get fascinated, and uh, I, I forget what article I read that I was, like, fascinated, and then I read it all the way through, and then I found myself looking at pictures of friends, and then I found myself looking at family, then I chatted up, you know, a distant cousin, and the next thing you know, I'm invited to, like, a family thing that I haven't done in a while, and I was like, shit, I should, I should be on this social media more often, because I haven't been using it for, you know, I've been focused on work, and we've been traveling a lot with the work, and uh, so, like, the last 72 hours, I think I, I probably spent at least two hours a day updating, putting new photos, linking, talking to people. So it's been a lot. I have a, a new idea before for... That, before that, nothing. You know, before that, nothing for like a year. I have a new idea for an invention, and uh, if you want to go in on it with me, that's okay. Uh, what if you were the first person to invent a social media app that didn't require you to look down at a screen to update it or to, you know, check out information? I'm talking about a phone that you can operate while staring ahead. Let's talk about Google Glasses for a second. Have you tried them on? I have not. Have you tried them on? No, I saw them at the store, but I was afraid. <laughs> you didn't try them on? No, I was too scared, um, man. Don't you remember I've the movie? A dude, I, there's a dude that wears them religiously, uh, like all the time. It's kind of bizarre, actually. I owe, Every time I see this guy in Brooklyn, he's got his Google Glasses on. That, see, now, that's a little weird for me because... I mean, first of all, like, so if you wear glasses, do you know, do they do a prescription uh, heads-up display? Or, like, are they glasses? Are they, because I thought maybe they were just fakey glasses, and because they had, maybe they had to be made out of something specific to do the heads-up display. I really don't know. I don't know. I do not know the technology, but it, it, it would be annoying to me. I don't, I don't like it. I'm annoyed. It is very frightening. Uh, so now you're living in Brooklyn. Where originally are you from again? Chicago? Actually, man, I moved. I just moved to Staten Island. In Staten Island now. I mean, how many different places have you lived? In my lifetime? In your lifetime. Oh my God, dude. I am a, I'm a bit of a modern gypsy. I think I've moved, and this is a realistic number because I counted it up the other day during a drinking game and everybody had to drink because they, nobody believed me, but I counted them all out. It was like 36, man, 36 places. 36, 36 places? 36 places in 37 years. It's a lot. Wow, that's amazing. But where are you originally from? Well, I'm born in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know what? It's so hard for me to remember oh, no. that, you know, because it's like 
you're you know like when i first met you you were an actor an aspiring artist you know and those types of people don't seem to have any city at all right we're not from anywhere yeah well los angeles is pretty much like that we're that's where we met you were it's also not, um electron yeah would you say i'm sorry Neo entering the Matrix. Um, let's talk about the band Brother. It's uh, the 10 year anniversary of the Mongrel Mythology DVD that you could pick is up at the Brother Marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell the Bobcast listeners what you used to do with Brother. Cool. Yeah. Um, Brother was my first experience with a touring and independent band that toured on their own steam, you know, that kind of did it really 100% independently from any organization and did so purposely. Um, I joke around with friends, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen that really great mockumentary, A Mighty Wind, about folk bands. Have you seen that one? Yeah, um, I have I've seen that, yeah. you seen it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I joke around that like I felt like I was inside that world, you know, like The Mighty Wind, um, except for, uh, for, you know, kind of Scottish and Irish and world and uh, Australian sounds. And it was really cool, man. They were basically my neighbors, and I was working at, um, I was thinking I was at NDC as a producer, and we were looking for a world sound for this uh, special we were doing. And and I remember I just was literally walking home, and I was, like, racking my brain, and I was thinking about, um, I was specifically thinking about digital music and Australian music because it was fit perfectly for this thing that we were doing at NDC. And it was, like, a documentary thing. And then I literally, as I was walking through my backyard, I hear this, And then you went on the road with them. I never would have planned that. And that was uh, a, f- a fun time. So that was it. I, I, I quit the freaking corporate gig and I joined this indie band. And I was part of Brother for almost, I guess, almost two years. So uh, tell the Bobcast listeners what you're up to now in the, the streets of Brooklyn. The streets of Brooklyn. Well, our offices are still in Brooklyn, although I'm now in Staten Island. Um, and uh, so I live in Staten Island because it's kind of the next neighborhood right now. Everybody's moving over to this town called St. George because you can take the ferry 20 minutes outside the city. And it's like real neighborhoods and houses and everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's insanely affordable. So it's what Brooklyn was eight, eight years ago. So a lot of people, a lot of artists, a lot of producers are moving here. We're getting our hands on, you know, three-level houses with seven bedrooms, splitting up with our friends. 
It reminds me of living in a band house with you guys, actually. Um, I got two friends from Hong Kong that are here that are directors. I got two writers from Los Angeles that are living downstairs, so I got a big house, and uh, we're turning it into a production house. Because these days, we are running a production company of music videos, commercials, uh, web, web content. We've been doing some international in Hong Kong and uh, also some work in Japan, and then mostly we're kind of focusing our energy right now on New York and L.A. And the name of the company? Oh, yeah, so I'm Excelsior Entertainment, and my partner is Gold Suitcase Japan, so that together we're Excelsior Gold Suitcase. I love it. I love the name. Uh, you know, Stan Lee was a, a huge inspiration growing up, and that's the way he would sign his letters when, you know, he would send somebody a, a note of gratitude. Excelsior. Excelsior. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. I did, it's so funny. I did not know that. I wanted Excelsior because it's the New York State motto, um, and it means ever upward, which is kind of, I, I try to live my life that way. You know, I like never say die. Mm-hmm. And uh, all, hard, all hard work uh, always pays off, you know? So I kind of felt it was right, and I couldn't believe nobody had Excelsior Entertainment in New York State. I was like, I couldn't believe nobody had registered that. So I registered it, bought it, got it to work, started. A uh, company was established in 2011 when I got back from Ireland after uh, producing and hosting a music show for three years over there in Dublin. So yeah, we can look forward to that in the future. Excelsior Entertainment all the way. Des, uh, you're tuning in tonight, too, to a special episode of the Bobcast. We're back with the pop culture dial. And we're talking about our favorite shows on cable television. First up is Better Call Saul. What's your initial thoughts on the pilot series that AMC just released? All right, so I was totally uh, psyched about the show. And it really taught, you know, looping back to social media... They did an incredibly good job of talking about it. I don't know if you guys saw that stuff on Facebook, across Instagram and stuff. Like, they were really clever about the way that they kind of kept it in the public eye these last six months. And so, you know, built a buzz. And I oh, Des, Des. Huge... What's that? Des, hold on one second. We got Saul Vickersburg calling in. Hold on one second, please. Hello? Oh, it's Mickey here on the Bobcast. Hey, what's up, Bobcast? You know what? We just uh, we we just lost our uh, our guest, Des Ryan Stewart here on the Bombcast. Chick, we're talking about pop culture dial here. We're talking about Better Call Saul, not Better Call Saul Vickersburg, but Better Call Saul. Okay, so if uh, all things are go here, come in, gentlemen. Do you hear me on the pop culture dial? Yeah, you're here on the pocket dial. We up in here. Do you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Des. Uh, do you recall meeting my friend Mickey from the band Pocket Dial? Mickey, do you remember Dez from Los Angeles, California? Um, yeah, man. We hung out uh, out in the um, apartment complex. I forget the name of it. I think a couple times. Oh, when you guys came down to visit? Park La Brea, I think. I met you there. Oh, wait a second. Okay, maybe I do remember. Yes. So we're talking about... Uh, Sherry was with you guys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Is that who that was? So, uh, Des, you were just talking about... Oh, man, good to hear. How you been? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn area. Yeah, uh, uh, fellas, awesome. fellas, 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 I hate to butt in here, but this is called the Bobcast, so let me get my <laughs> words in here. Fellas, we're talking about Better Call Saul, and Des, you were just giving us your initial uh, impressions of the pilot. Okay, so what I dug was that I was so aware of it, you know, because we started the conversation talking about social media, 
and um, they really did a very good job across the Facebook channels and Instagram and kind of just posting and things to let me know when I was going to be on, and I didn't feel hounded. I felt kind of psyched, you know, they did a nice lead-up to it. Some great, really funny, sizzle, behind-the-scenes things. So by the time it came, you know, the night, I was ready, man. I was like popcorn night. I had the bowl of popcorn. I was like, all right, because I, lo- I saw every episode of Breaking Bad. And it did not uh, let me down. It was fantastic. Mickey, what are your thoughts? I like the, I love the pilot. I can't lie about that. Uh, I was into it. I thought it was the beat was great. I thought you know the characters were cool. I saw the man and his little weird brother. But um, yeah, uh, I liked the pilot. I think that's just kind of where uh, it tapered off for me, though. Uh, subsequently, I guess you consider uh, episode one and episode two the pilot. That's kind of oh okay. I like the first half. The second episode, I just kind of I don't even know what happened. I kind of just tuned out. I, I really couldn't follow it. I couldn't pay attention. I don't know. It didn't uh, rip me out. Yeah, but you, the content was awesome. The pilot broke uh, like, records. Ill father and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't. I don't even like. I was watching it, but I just. They don't listen to me. I don't know. I just. I. I wasn't drawn in at all. Yeah, it's it's really difficult for me to uh, get into the show as well. I just actually watched episode three before the recording of this podcast, and I left the room a couple times to go get something to drink. It's. Um, I, I, I don't I mean like I, my problem with the show is how can I be invested with this guy Jimmy I know he becomes Saul but I know where he winds up and like the whole gimmick I guess of like reoccurring characters I mean how long will that last is my question with like the Nacho. show I mean Nacho yeah it was you know but like still though like you're meeting people you've like the part of the fun of like falling in love with a TV show is meeting new characters. And like you know what I mean, like you know, like when you meet new ca- when you meet a new character, you have no idea where they're gonna go. Like I know where these guys are gonna go. It's kind of like Gotham, but you know, basically, I think to better call Saul, it, it has to introduce some new ideas if it's gonna retain my attention. Interesting. I think uh, I think what might just end up happening, based off of conversations like this and whatnot, is that they may eventually, you know cast it into the future a little bit more and pick up in his little basement, you know, and see what his next move is. I, I, that's the only way it's going to work. I mean, Nacho Libre is cool, but, like, you know, he obviously doesn't make it or whatever. Like, you know, we know it's great. Yeah, it seems like he's about to become a criminal. I haven't seen the third episode yet, but, you know, you end the second episode or you end the pilot with the guy that, the very first guy that was killed on Big Breaking Bad, if you remember, he had to he had to like kill that dude with poison in the back of the truck. That was the guy that was the original partner with Jesse. And when he's dead, that's when you know Walter White steps in and says, "Well, I'll be your partner. I can cook better than that this kid guy that I just killed." Um, so that's pretty intense. And so like that's the guy that says to Saul, "You know you're a criminal. You know, call me and figure it out." Because he's like, oh, no, 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 man, I'm a lawyer. I'm going to fight for what's right. So it's that saying, you know, Walter White had the internal battle of, I'm a teacher, I'm a father, I'm a good man, but I'm fucking broke. I can't survive. I'm going to die, and I'm going to leave nothing for my family. My family's so important to me. I mean, that's the question, right? How important is your family? Would you kill for those you love? So, you know, that has an altruistic sound to it. It sounds like good, because if we kill for those we love, that's, that's an act of love, even though it's difficult and painful and you have to take a life so then it yeah, but it goes obviously it goes way beyond that right he becomes he becomes the thing itself you know he goes beyond just trying to protect his family 
So, I mean, it's the same question, isn't it? It's Saul's facing the same question. Here he is, a lawyer. His father's mentally ill. His father deserves $45 million. He's trying to fight for his father. His father's making it impossible for him. He can't survive. He's got this old past of being a shyster and a liar. But is he going to go back to it, or is he going to try to be a better man? So it's the Walter White thing again, except in Saul's story. Wait, is that that's his dad? I thought that was his brother. That's his father. The old man's his father. And uh, I, I believe the guy he's going after in the... I thought it was his brother. In the actual agency is probably either his brother or, like, married into the family or something. I think that the, the whole thing was founded by his dad, right? I mean, the guy's way too old to be his brother. I'm I, don't, I don't know, man. I mean, even this conversation is kind of... I'm, I'm a little confused as to what's going on with Saul. <laughs> I'm confused. Yeah, I mean, do I want to be confused? He's about to be a criminal. He's about to make the decision to be a criminal the same way Walter White did. I know, it's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I, I just, uh, I can't get into it. I really want to get into it. It's just another download on the pop cultural dial. <laughs> another download. You, let me ask you this, do you guys watch lawyer shows? If like, just forget about Breaking Bad, would you watch a lawyer show? Do you guys watch lawyer television? Nah. Nah, that's, that's the other thing. It's not around a drug dealer or a drug situation or a, or a pop culture situation. Now it's about a lawyer, you know? That's true. So that's why he's dealing with all this law stuff. So, I mean, I guess at this point, you know, I'll continue to watch. I usually get to around episode five or six before I I drop off. I dropped off with American Horror Story. I try to get into that. And after they killed my main, my favorite character, and, I mean, the other guy, Dandy, came out. But, I mean, it just it lost its focus. So, I mean, hopefully Better Call Saul stays the course here on the Bobcast pop culture. <laughs> I think that's the American Horror Story thing is like the lack of focus, man. That show is all over the place, man. They go from like Hitler to Nazis, like to aliens, and like back and forth through time. It's just it never ends. It's just it's, it's saturation. Or I fell out after the first season. Yeah, same. I never went back to it. it was, yeah. Those first freaking six episodes, though, dude, had me. Yeah, I was like, jeez. Like, uh, <laughs> right. I kept doing it. Goes berserk. It just goes all yeah. over the place. When all the high school dead kids came back, I was done. That was it. I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, it's Freaky Friday, and except with you know angry dead people, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, and then the aliens. Uh, it just I just saw the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. There's aliens. I think they got abducted at some point. I, I, I think there was a light. Fellas, uh, I, I I just received word from the bat signal that. Rockstar Rob Templeton has joined the show. Hello, everybody. There Hello. he is, the resident hey, pop culturalist. Rockstar Rob, we were just talking about uh, we we were just talking about Better Call Saul. Did you see that show? Uh, I was not a Breaking Bad um, fan. Like I mean, I just actually started watching that, so. Um, well, maybe you could maybe you can tell us a little bit about. Uh, I mean, how do you how do you think the media has been, you know, presenting Better Call Saul? You think they're doing a good job of advertising? It did really well. Um, it was like I think the number one rated show that that night. Yeah, it had a huge huge opening. Des, how big of a uh, opening did it have? That was huge. I mean, I never watched it, but. 
but like I just started watching Breaking Bad. You know, what do you think? What do you think of uh, Breaking Bad in the early episodes? Uh, I I like it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I kind of I, I, I kind of liked the show, but I didn't I didn't love the show. It's a slow burner, though. You, I mean, it does take like a couple episodes to really like start getting uh, you know tantalizing. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah I gotta it, just take a minute to pause and, uh, you know, give some kind of credit to the last five years of, like, uh, streaming media and entertainment, television, TV, and, and how Netflix and binge-watching emerged and totally, you know, changed our television-watching culture from, like, uh, you know what I mean? A once-a-week thing to just, like, a, uh, a Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I'm so thankful for the times we live in, like, where we could just do shit like that. I remember being like, as a kid always wanting to like own everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to wait on meat, man. The only problem with people binge watching to catch up on something, and I, I heard it with, you know, somebody just announced, I know, just jumped on The Walking Dead. Um, I know people have done it with like Doctor Who and, and, more uh, and other shows too is you get so used to being able to watch it every day that when you get caught up even with Lost it was the same way as people that jump on they, they liked the fact that they could watch everything and then when they got caught up it was like they couldn't stand it they had to wait a week it is true oh when they caught oh right when they caught up right yeah 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 I thought you meant they got caught up in the story. You mean when they got caught up to where they were at the broadcast season, right? Right. Yeah. So, like, let's say, let's say there were two seasons and or right. three seasons, you know, and they're watching every day or three right. episodes a day or whatever, and then they get so used to being able to do that, then when they finally get up to the present, I won't say caught up, then I'll yep. say when they get to the present episodes, then they have to start waiting a week, you know, whatever it is or or the other thing is then they in those cases there's no commercials and then boom now they now not only do they have to wait a week but they have to watch commercials they have to watch commercials yeah. well you know what we didn't have to uh commercials are bad. we didn't have to, to wait a week to catch up with the latest episode of gotham so let's spin the pop culture dial here and uh tune into the bat channel uh, thoughts on uh, the episode with the notorious Joker first appearance. Who wants to take it first? Des, I know you haven't seen the show, but you can just chime in. I haven't seen the show. Whenever, I'm outside the Gotham circle here. Well, you really won't be able to miss anything, really, with this conversation because it is pretty much straight on the nose. You'll see uh, the Joker appear in this episode. I guess uh, the kid from uh, Shameless is uh, portraying Jerome from the circus. So who wants to take it first here? Uh, Rob, Mickey, flip a coin. Harvey Dent style. I think you got it. I mean, honestly, I think you got to take it, man. You are the one. You know, it's your, like... All right, well, I'm going to tell you I'm gonna tell you how I felt. And uh, yeah. some of you may disagree, but let me just get through my testimony here. <clears throat> I'm a huge Batman fan. I'm sitting in this room right now surrounded by several Batman items of memorabilia. And I hear my voice cracking because I am losing it, but I'm also very sensitive to the subject and Gotham for me just it doesn't do it 
last night's episode with the Graysons mashed into whatever they think the Joker is. It's just the storytelling is uneven. I don't really buy it. I still watch the show because I am such a Batman fan. But, I mean, I feel as if the audience is always, like, having a joke pulled on them. And uh, this guy, Jerome, I guess, you know, I mean, he, was he doing an impression of Heath Ledger? It's At certain times during the show, I was thinking to myself, did they digitally impose Heath Ledger's voice in there? Because if you watch the performance again, you can hear a couple of weird similarities. So, for me... It's just, it's a huge letdown each week turning into, Gotham used to be a great, you know, I look forward to it each Monday, but now my favorite character, Harvey Bullock, has been pushed to the back, I guess, and he doesn't really have an arc to tell. I don't even know what's up with him. He thinks there's jokes because of circus stars coming in. It's just, it's uneven. Barbara Gordon or whatever her last name is, it just doesn't match up. And uh, for me, it wasn't uh, the first appearance of the Joker that I, I, I wanted. Who would like to retort? Well, I'll have to say that, like, this whole Heath Ledger thing, no. He was not Heath Ledger. It was Jack Nicholson. The kid looks so much like a young Nicholson. I was like, I, I posted it on my Facebook pictures of Nicholson as the Joker and 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 he just was, it was, I, I, it was a total lift off of, um, of, of Jack Nicholson. See, I, I read into, I guess, a little bit of both of it. A little bit of Jack, a little bit of Heath. Uh, who knows what Jared Leto's going to do, but I hope it's something different. I mean, I like the kid. Does anybody here in the, on the, the pop culture dial here uh, watch Shameless? Nah. Yeah. So, so, okay, the kid, I think his name's Cameron. He plays a, a bipolar um, homosexual band in the family of the, the Gallagher's, and uh, he's crazy on that show. In fact, he's even more scarier on that show than he was on Gotham yeah. last night. He's good on that show, yeah. Like he did a really fantastic job with uh, last night's episode or Sunday night's episode. He takes a baby for a bipolar ride, so I was a little happy that they got a good actor. But I feel as if the episode, it, it kind of you know, like they push Joker also to the back as well. I mean, the Graysons and, like, the whole murder, like, and it, it just, the plot's never straight forward and it never you know, focuses in on the things that I want to see. Being a, a big fan of the of the Batman genre, too, with you, Bob, like, my whole life, you know? If you if we just think about those artistic images of the Joker, just the way he's portrayed and the, and the way he's drawn, I mean, there's not a whole lot of ways to go, you know what I mean? Like, I think maybe... Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger just kind of nailed the artwork as actors, kind of becoming a physical representation of the drawings and, and the way they're written, the characters written. You know, as a working actor, there's just you don't that you're portraying something that exists. You, you know, you're a little fenced in there. You know what I mean? Like if you take too many liberties, then what happens is everyone who's loved the Joker in print is like, that's not the, that's not the Joker, dude. You know what I mean? You know, maybe it's better to always not know who he is. Yeah, I, I like that. And you, you've talked about that here on the Bobcast before, where you think that we've never met the Joker, which coincidentally, <clears throat> in Batman, the Endgame series that's going on in DC Comics now, there's this whole story going on, which they played upon where the Joker was invincible. And he's been around since like colonial times and the Civil War. And he pops up in uh, old pictures. And that was terrifying. You know what I mean? So there's different ways of telling the story. 
but, I like that. But this particular story to me was, it, it, I don't know, I just it didn't sell me all the way. And, you know, I, I, I don't like the way that, like, Fox, like, put it out there with the whole ha-ha-has and, like, made it, like, this whole Joker hoopla that's make me tune back into Gotham. But, I mean... I, I just, I mean, like, God, I would love a crack at this show. I mean, there's great characters on there. I mean, the whole Fish Mooney, like, uh, Bane, like, thing that's going on down in the source. Like, what's going on there? Is that the Dark Knight Rises, like, inspired? It's just, I don't know. What was that, what was that name we came up with for Fish Mooney? I, I forget. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, Fish, or, um, I can't re- recall. We'll have to go back on the Bobcast and listen. But, yeah. Anyway, guys have successfully made me, I'm going to have to now watch the show. I mean, we, yeah, I mean, I still tune in. Maybe I could add some more uh, fuel on that fire, because I, I got to hear you guys out. And listen, I didn't really catch the Nicholson reference myself, uh, but now that you guys mentioned I can see that. However, they did do the Nicholas Nicholson origin in Batman from Tim Merton. He fell into a pit and became the Joker straight away. Like, he was just a criminal who got burned and then went nuts. True. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, that's right. The thing they've always played at, in the comic book, it was actually um, started, I think, in the Batman animated cartoon from the 90s, is that um, the Joker was actually the guy who shot the Waynes. Oh, really? His name's Joe uh, Chill. Yeah, but you so know what like, though? I I, I have to no, I have to uh I have to cut in here, Rob, real quick. Rob, I gotta I gotta cut in here real quick and just tell you I think that even like that story in itself is a product of storytelling during the late eighties and early nineties where every single story the the pro- protagonist created the antagonist, vice versa, you know what I mean? Lots of movies did that in the early 90s. And that, to me, was, I don't know, it's such a cop-out. Like, I mean, they did it in, how many of the Spider-Man movies did they do it with, like, you know, Harry Osborn? It's a, it's such a gimmick, I think, with storytelling. I've always loved the element of the Joker just being a mystery. And I guess the only thing that Christopher Nolan got right in the whole Dark Knight series was Heath Ledger's performance. I loved that performance. I thought it was just something special, and it was a, a mystery. the rest of the... I think I think yeah, no. Joker. I think it's even better than Nicholson. I got to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm in the boat. Rob, who's your who's your top fan too? But I just think Nicholson was shtick almost, and Heath was well, the I, real Joker. Heath was the real criminal. Yeah, but I just think this kid looks like Nicholson. That that's like oh, he I is a good actor. Picture. He just he looks like a young Nicholson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't seen. I got to see it now. Well, yeah, that's why they cast Nicholson because he looks like an old Joker. He, mm-hmm. a, he can do, he can joke her out. He can definitely joke her out. Yeah. It went wrong because they should have met because they should have gone with my idea, 
where it was never you never know who the Joker is. It's always been it's always been somebody sprayed with something, mind mind messed with to think right. they are the Joker, but we've never seen the Joker. I thought that the kid uh, f- from they totally kept it in the line of Gotham's darkness with his emergence. Uh, you know, killing his mom—that's real dark and gory. Yet again, like you know, in the episode you had Penguin going off camera and stabbing somebody with something that blood splattered. Like that's where I'm kind of like watching the show and thinking it's the most different from the Bat Universe with all the blood and gore. I mean, it's always kind of been you know. Seems to be not that popular way. on television right now. I mean, it's almost like if it's not graphic it's not I mean and I don't know if it's because I haven't been watching you know a lot I've actually been trying to create some new shows but I when I have watched um like I checked out Hannibal I think is it called Hannibal I want to say it's Hannibal on NBC oh yeah yeah I watched that that tripped me out dude because I gotta tell you man when we were children you would never see that on a national broadcaster it's absolutely impossible that that would pass through the FCC to be considered, you know, uh, acceptable for a free broadcast across American airways. It just wouldn't happen in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I absolutely and, uh, love that show. You know, like an exposed brain or like, you know, human body parts of these like incredible dead human sculptures and things. And so like, you know, this is on national free television. This isn't like, oh, I bought it. I can kind of monitor it or put a limit on it. This is just free airwaves. So, you know, and I worked for Disney for a little while, um, actually, for the FCC. So, I mean, this was even in the late 90s when I worked with uh, Disney's branch of the FCC. We had huge limitations on what we could say and what we could do, and we had to meet with these, whether it was a children's cartoon or a television series on Toon Disney or Disney Channel or whatever. Any broadcast we had had to, you know, fit with the standards of broadcast. So, it's, it's when I say it's been radically changed since 99, it's been radically changed. Yeah. It, doesn't even, yeah. it doesn't even remotely resemble television of the 80s and 90s. So I wonder who went in and led, you know, the legislation said, look, cable's killing us. We're limited, the FCC limits our ability to show and be artistic. We can't do scary. We can't do sexual. We can't use swear language. Like we can't, Europe over here has basically a blue channel that's public. There's essentially porn, soft porn, but entertainment, and they can show anything they want. And America over here is, you know, Protestant and, you know, by and large, like, super cloistered and, and we can't say anything. And I think they I think that they're going to go out of business if they don't change it. And so they change <laughs> it. I, 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 honestly, I think HBO really is... HBO set the bar. They, they, they set the bar on it. Because they started doing shows, there were no commercials. They could say what they wanted, they did what they wanted, and people said, yeah, we want this. Totally. And, and, and another thing, and I, I've noticed this um, in TV and cinema, there was a point in time in television where a lot of the really good writers were not writing for television. They were all writing for cinema. Right. And then after HBO... Um, a lot, some people, some writers came back. I think they were around a time, a lot closer to the time, like um, when Lost was very popular. The Predators. Yeah. You started to see a domino effect, and a lot of these film guys were coming back to television. 
And I really think it just changed the game, for sure. I know that, man. Because they take it a step beyond cable. Cable still has limitations, but paid channels do not because they operate like a magazine. So the FCC does not have sway because, I mean, there's a, lim- there's a limit, of course, but it has to do, uh, when, you're a, when you're privately owned and when you're a subscription-based pre- presenter, your only limitation is kind of like things that are anachronistic against, you know, against the government, saying the president should die. Like anything that's like truly, <laughs> no, seriously, anything that's truly no, no, no. deemed a national threat. But other than that, guess what? You are a subscription-based situation. As long as your people like it and they pay their subscription, you do what you want. And so that was why they could set the bar. And I think someone intelligent over there, who probably was Pukes, I think, who was in charge at the time, was like, wait a second, we can change television, guys. You know, which was a huge, intelligent thing to do uh, at that time, because nobody was doing it. And then Showtime followed suit. And then, you know, the cable tried to catch up. And now, now broadcasters like FCC are going to have to change the rules. But guess what? No more broadcasters in America. We're done. Well, if, if Seth Rogen and the preacher get it right, they're going to change it again, Ken, because that show is going to push the you know religious needle to the far right. And what, just, uh, what channel is he on? Or where's he going to be? Preacher's going to be on the AMC. AMC? Preacher will be on AMC. We're talking about this. We're talking about this. What changed and why it changed and who set the bar and all this. But do you think that maybe when HBO and Showtime and everything and people started swinging toward pay television because it was more quality television, that maybe the advertisers actually will pay everybody, Bobby, all the money, turn yeah, around? Bobby. Yeah. You guys got to change what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. 100%. There's a thing we do every year called the Upfronts. And it happens actually in New York City. And uh, the, the networks put on a show, essentially, uh, you know, like a Broadway show. And the, the two that I worked on with the two exec producers had David Blaine. So, like, we brought David Blaine in, and we rehearsed it, and we did it to New Amsterdam. And essentially, you bring $1.2 to $2.2 billion of advertisers together for one night. You, you frickin' wine and dine them. You know, you meet at a couple big hotel rooms. They get a nice program that says what's going to be happening. They go just like a Broadway theater show. You pack that theater with the people who decide what advertising goes in what slot. And then you wow them with the host. And then David Blaine does this like live car trick, which I still to this day cannot figure out, even though I was behind the scenes. I don't know how he did it. I'm serious. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And I got to have dinner with him afterwards, and he continued doing magic for ever, all the producers. And I never could ever figure out what he was doing. It was insane. I thought for sure he was an alien or potentially, you know, Satan himself or something, but it was amazing. Hey, advertisers. I was into him. I was into him. It's cool. Everything disappeared. So, yeah, I guess what we're getting back... They dollars a year, you know, so you have to impress them. And they do it every year. They put on a big show. And all the networks do it. Back here on the Bobcast. So uh, I guess, fellas, what we're trying to say is that the FCC is now pushing the limits and shows like Gotham can show blood, sex, violence, you no. name it. Uh, a quick question for uh, my bat aficionados. What, what, Victor Shazaz, or Shazaz, whatever his name is, how did he get the, the gangster guy to dance and become like a puppet? Does he have that power? Like, Did I miss that in the comics? 
Um, what is, uh, what is it? Uh, well, he's, isn't he also the calendar man? I, is he the calendar man? Because, I, I don't know, uh, I have to go look back at my I graphic novel. Zaja or Zaza. Something. But um, I thought, I mean, that too is just like, it was just really sad storytelling at that point. He's, tor- it's, he's, he's a torturer. He's, he's pla- yeah. in, in, in torture. So he's basically, you know, he probably just cut a pecker off or something, you know? <laughs> Okay, I have to go back one week to Gotham when the Riddler met Penguin and he's like and he goes, I know who you are and he goes, Well if you know who I am, you know you're standing too close to me. That whole scene was brilliant. I loved the meeting of the penguin and the Riddler. Yeah, I agree. And there's definitely gems each week. There's certainly gems, but there are a lot of other points. Yeah, I mean, when she walks back into the apartment and Poison Ivy and Catwoman are hanging out, and then the next scene she's asking for help with her wardrobe, I was just like, come on, man. What kind of storytelling? Let me get a shot at one of the scripts. If Gotham's producers are listening, give me a call. My agent's name's Frank Elliott Shapiro. Fellas, uh, I hate to do this to you, but we've run out of time here on the Bobcast. We've got to take a word from our commercial sponsors. Uh, Rockstar Rob, thank you very much. MC Key, thank you. And Des... Uh, you're our sponsor this evening, so we're going to take a listen to a song from uh, one of your old band's surplus music titled Hoo Hoo Hoo. This has been another episode of Bobcast.